Good morning, church. It's good to see you all today. We're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Actually starting a a new series today for the month of uh, September on uh, the topic of stewardship and um, uh, the subject of uh, giving. I know that's one of your favorite topics. So we plan to oblige. No, Paul gives us some very helpful words today, I believe. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. And the title of this message is How to Be Rich Without Ruining Your Life. 1 Timothy six seventeen, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Uh, King James Version says high-minded. Do not set or or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Verse 18, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. We might begin today by... uh, saying just a word about uh, who is rich because I'm doubting that uh, many of us would consider ourselves to be rich. But actually, we should consider ourselves as the richest people in the world. Actually, we, I would even add the richest people in the history of the world. And here are some things that might uh, help to understand why I'm saying this. Um, One article I read said that the median household income, that is, you got half below it and half above it, that the median income for the household in the world is $9,000 per year. Now, that means that there's a Half of them's above that, half of them's below that. Uh, in, uh, for example, in uh, Republic of Congo, the annual income for a household is two hundred and fifty dollars. In Liberia, it's four hundred and thirty dollars. But around the world, it's nine thousand dollars per year per household. Sometimes you have three or four working. In the United States, the Median household, yeah, baby, (laughs) emphatic. This is a point to ponder. In the United States, the median household income is $51,000 per year. That's everybody works. That's average. It means half is above that, half is below that. Now, that may not be your household income. But let me say this. Uh, If you make $35,000 a year, you are in the top 1% to 2% of wage earners in the United States and the world. 
you're in the top 1% to 2%. So you could be below the poverty level. Now, I, I, I lived many years below the poverty level. Uh, I had what is called earned income credit. Does anybody know what that? Well, don't raise your hand. That's, it's not good. But I had that, so I know what the poverty level is. And for the poor in the United States, that is below the poverty level, 90% have these elements. Stoves, refrigerators, microwaves, air conditioners. Air conditioners. I didn't have an air conditioner when I lived in Texas for 10 years. But 90% of those in the poverty level have air conditioners. Cell phones, 92%. And computers, 88%. Color televisions, 98%. And 95% of all households in the United States own a car. Or at least they're paying for one. Many own two. So again, I say, I am addressing people who by and large are the richest people in the world, comparatively. And the uh, per capita or per person income per year in the world, if you distribute it and said, okay, what's the average income per year Per person, $2,900, $2,900. In America, the per person income is 27000 almost 10 times more per person. And according to Michael Cox, who works with the Federal Reserve, he says most families over a period of 15 years move up the economic ladder, that 80% of the poor became either middle class or close to it over the last 15 years. Uh, give, me, give me that little chart. This is median household income since 19... This is about a 50 to 60 year time frame. And you can see there are dips, but overall... You know, you've heard the phrase, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. That's not in the Bible. It's also not true. The poor, the rich are getting a little richer, and the poor are getting a little richer too. In the United States, in the past hundred years, we have just blossomed economically with an occasional recession and one depression. <clears throat> but I'm just giving you this because when, when I read this, don't take yourself out of this category of the rich. So he says in verse 17, as for the rich, us, <laughs> amen, in this present age, charge them 
charge them. Now, that word charge is interesting. It means to come alongside someone and give them, hand to them an assignment, a commission. It's used, this word charge, paraangelo, is used in Acts 16, verse 24, when it says that the jailer who had been charged or ordered, Acts 16, 23, to keep Paul and Silas safely. Having received this charge, this order, he put them into the uh, inner prison. So it's like an assignment. This is your commission. This is your stewardship. Take, here's what you're to do as a rich person. And so I am bringing to you, I am sent to you to give you an assignment, a commission regarding your wealth as rich people regarding your wealth. Now, we might ask this. Why does Paul use such a serious word as this, this commissioning? And, uh, and I get this from Andy Stanley, pastor in Atlanta. He says, he says, Paul gives to us this commission, this assignment, because... There is a gravitational pull with money. There's a, it's almost like a, a drag. And you have to watch it or you will veer off course gradually. There has to be boundaries and there has to be intent, intentionality with this when there, when wealth comes as it has with us over the past 50 years in the United States. Um, So he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, commission them, and he gives three commissions, basically. One, don't be haughty or high-minded. Two, don't set your hope on uncertain riches. And three, set it on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, those three things become the assignment of rich people. The reason for that is because there is a tendency with wealth to to be the opposite of these three things. Let me point them out to you. One, there's a tendency of wealth to distort your view of yourself. So he says, don't be haughty, high-minded. The word uh, haughty or high-minded is the Greek word hupsalos, which is translated as highly exalted. Ephesians 4.8 says, Jesus ascended up on high, upsalos. So it's the word upsalos, which means way up there, with the word mind, the Greek word for mind. So it's to be greatly exalted in your own mind. <laughs> That's the meaning of it. See, wealth will pull you in the direction of a high view of yourself. Proverbs eighteen twenty three puts it like this. The poor use entreaty request. 
The rich answer roughly. See, it changes your personality if you're not careful. There's a pull, there's a tendency when you have money in the bank is it puts your view of yourself higher than it is in reality. It also changes your view of wealth, not only yourself, but your wealth, because notice how he puts it. Nor set your hope, verse 17, on the uncertainty of riches. Wealth tends to cause your hope to migrate over to money itself. When you start getting money, your hope shifts from God to money because money seems bigger, more important, more accessible, more secure. So it not only changes your view of yourself, but it changes your view of your wealth so that you tend to shift your hope to your wealth. So Paul says, charge them that they not set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Proverbs 8.11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. It's like a high wall in his imagination. It's in his imagination. It's not in in reality, Proverbs 18.11. It's like a high wall in his imagination. I was counting this past week, thinking about this, the rich men that I've known. Rich compared to me. Rich compared to the church people. And in, in the past 20 years, I've probably only known a half a dozen, maybe four or five even. Out of those rich men that I have known, all with maybe the exception of one. I'm not sure about him. I know he's had issues too. But all have lost all of their wealth, their homes. They had nice homes. But either through health issues, recession, divorces, bad business deals, or a combination thereof, they lost all Riches are uncertain. And to shift confidence over is to shift it into sinking sand. Paul says, charge them that are rich that they do not let their hope migrate over to their wealth. It's uncertainty. It's unstable. I had uh, the, the first rich man that I knew uh, when I was pastor in Texas, wonderful man. We was in a we were in a building program. Um, we had started a school at the church, and so he was he owned a construction company. So he was actually in charge of the building. And I always thought he drove the coolest car because it looked like a car, but it was a truck. I know there's a name for that. I don't even think they make them now, but. Yeah, okay, whatever. Did I ask for a response? No. (laughs) But thank you. You're listening. Uh, But I always thought that was the coolest car. And we were were friends. And because of the building, we we spent time together. 
he had a 20-year-old daughter that he adored. One day he got a phone call and she had committed suicide. And at the funeral, can you write a check to fix that? No. The man was broken from then on. This is the instability and deceptiveness of wealth, my friend. The great issues of life, it cannot fix. It can get you a trip to the mall and make you happy for an hour, but I am telling you that you need more than a trip to the mall for life. So he says, don't put your hope in the uncertainty of riches, implying that rich people have a tendency to move in that direction. He see there are implications in each of these. A third thing, he says, but put your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, my friend, this is a verse, a phrase of a verse that every one of us should memorize. What does wealth do? It tends to distort your view of yourself, makes you high-minded. So he says, I charge them, don't be that, but be humble. What does wealth do? It tends to cause your hope to move to your bank account. So he says, I charge you, put, don't put your hope on the uncertainty of your checkbook. And third, it tends to distort your view of God. He says, put it on God. Who is this God we're to put our hope in? He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Look at the extent of this giving God. He richly provides us. Pull, this, pull the next verse up. Go back to the previous verse. <laughs> yeah. On God who richly provides us with everything. Look at this. Look at the extent of his giving. He richly provides. That's the amount. Do you uh, count your blessings today? What have you got? Health? You got, you got here. You must have some health. You're here. Some of you got glasses on. You had money to buy glasses. Some of you have wives by your side. Hallelujah. Children? You got children? I know somebody's got kids because they're all out there. And up, uh... Look at the... Look at the amount, the, the extent of it is who richly provides. And then, this word provide in Greek is a continual tense. In Greek, that means that it's like a cycle. It's always going on. God provided for you yesterday. He provided for you this morning. Got you, you got a car, you, you were able to get here. He's going to provide for you when you leave here. 
He's going to provide for you tomorrow. There is a cycle of provision that never ceases for you and it's unconditional and unconnected to your behavior. So he says, look at the extent of it. Then, look at the content of it. With everything. (laughs) Everything. What will God give to me if I serve Him? He's already giving you everything. Every possible thing that your heart, your mind, your life, your body needs, God's providing it. Hey, you got air. Your lungs need air. Guess what? He's been giving that to you for years. And He'll give it to you for years to come. Air. Water. Unless you live in Flint. It's not a good idea there, but basically water. Everything, that's the content of it. And then look at the intent. To enjoy. To enjoy. Did you know God provides you with everything? Why? So I can serve Him. No, so you can enjoy it. Did you know God wants you to enjoy His provision? See, what does wealth do? Your hope migrates over and your view of God gets distorted so that God and His church becomes a threat. God may want some of this. The church may want some of this. So your view of God, and what it does is God will become like a taker rather than a giver. That's the way you know your hope has been shifting over. God becomes a taker rather than a giver. God becomes someone who gives you things to enjoy and you forget that and you start getting money gets me things to enjoy. We helped a young man this past week. He's in prison. He needed $100 for necessities. Now, I don't know him that well, but he made a request. Knows somebody in the congregation... They were a little nervous about it. I said, well, I, he's not asked before. Let's do it. And uh, they said to me, well, let's say this to him. We're going to give you this, but this is a well that's run dry. I said, I, I don't want to say that. Because this is a well <laughs> that never runs dry. Now, we may choose as a better part of discernment and wisdom that we're not going to supply out of God's everlasting well. But this provision is coming your way, just as it has come your way. Your God will provide you in your future with even more than He's given you in your past. And you're to enjoy it. (laughs) Celebrate it. Every day, celebrate His provision. So it will distort 
one's view of God. So he says he richly, continuously provides us with everything. That's the content. To enjoy, that's the intent. God is a giver, not a taker. We are takers, not the givers. As David said, 1 Chronicles 29, 14, All things come from you, O God, and of your own have we given you. See, we're the takers. Whatever we give back to God, he already gave us. Here's what God says in Psalm 50.10. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field belongs to me. And if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. (laughs) In other words, God doesn't need us, we need Him. God's not a taker, He's a giver. So money has this tendency to distort these essential perspectives. The perspective on ourself, so he says, don't be haughty or high-minded. Perspectives on wealth, so he says, don't think wealth will be certain or secure for you. And our perspective on God, so he says, don't think God is stingy or a threat to your welfare. So then, Paul offers... Three antidotes in verse, starting in verse 18. Now that's where we'll go to the next verse. Three antidotes to the tendency for wealth. Since I am assuming we're all wealthy in various extents, especially here in the United States. There, these tendencies can be disrupted and corrected by these, the antidotes that I'm now going to put in front of you. They're in verse 18 uh, from the Apostle Paul. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them. And here's what they are to do. Verse 18. They are to do good and be rich in good works. That's antidote number one. In other words... Do some good. Be rich in good works, not just money. Be helpful. Don't withdraw. Become isolated, cynical, self-protecting and self-preserving. Antidote number two, he says... They are to do good and be rich in good works and to be generous. Antidote number two is to just on occasion maybe empty it out. It's an, I would rather have an empty bank account and be a humble servant of God relying on daily and continual provision than to have stacked up wads of cash and answer roughly and discourteously to those made in the image of God. Be generous. Don't figure your tithe out down to the penny. I have noticed something about myself. The more money that I have, the more I want to protect it. I tell you this. There's something about 
giving generously, just dumping it out, that just God loves it. The sweetest time that I can remember, the first time I ever felt like God just baptized me in his Holy Spirit, was when I had just started college. I was about 20 years old, and I'd come home for the weekend, and I was looking for a place to go to church. I just got out and drove looking for a place to go to church. Now I'm broke. I mean, I'm a, I, I think I had 20 bucks for the week, $21. And I came to this Methodist church, and I thought, this is, this is nice, downtown Marstown, Tennessee. Drove in and went in and sat toward the back about two or three rows up. And it was a fairly traditional church, United Methodist Church, nice. I don't really remember a lot, except I remember that some really old women were sitting in a group not far from me down the pew. And they passed the offering plate. And I thought, I was just praising God and worshiping. And I thought, Lord, I'm just, I'm going to give to you everything I've got. So I opened up my billfold and I had $21 and some change and I dumped the whole thing in the offering plate. I didn't know what I was going to do the rest of the week. And when I did that, there was just a wave of God's presence that came and then another wave, and I began to weep. And another wave, and I began to talk to God out loud. And, I, and it was just a washing, cleansing, baptizing of the Holy Spirit. So that the, the, the women who were sitting right down from me, I was making them nervous. <laughs> they didn't know me. Here's this guy, he's about to talk in tongues, and we don't know what he's going to do next. But I just remember that it just seemed like God was just so pleased that I would just empty it out like that. Be generous to me. It, it helps us and moves God's heart when we worship Him with such abandon as that. Be generous. And studies have shown that the more people's income rises, the less they begin to give. So be generous. There's that tendency. So here's the antidote. Be generous. And then third, he says, be ready to share. Be ready to do it. Many think that God gives us money or resources merely to provide for our family. That's a yes and to keep us from being a burden to others. That's also a yes. But he also gives us resources and finances for another reason. Ephesians 4.28 Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing an honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to do what with? Share with those who need something. One of the purposes for which we work and gain extra is that we may share with those in need. By the way, I want to tell you all that uh, I'm proud of the church, both congregations. Uh, uh, Someone gave us a request for a family in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, Flood victim lost their home 
good Christian family, uh, uh, 75 years old, and no, no insurance on flood damage because it wasn't in a floodplain. But they lost their home, clothes, car, everything. And we sent them as a church $2,000 last week. Amen. So I'm proud of you on that. And I'm, I'm happy to be part of this. That's just one of the things that we did last week and this past month. And it's interesting that we got in the mail the next week uh, almost twice that. Not in the offerings, but just in the mail. We got almost twice that. One man wrote us a check for $3,300, and he doesn't even go to church. Never been to church here. Just wrote us a check. It's like God said, I'm pleased with this. And he honored, he said in 1 Samuel, I will honor those who honor me. Be ready to share. So I charge you, church, I commission you today. I give you this assignment. Be helpful, be generous, and be ready to share. Eager. It's the antidote to the destructive gravitational pull of your wealth. Around 1800, there was a plague that came to Europe called smallpox. The estimates are that as many as 500 million people died in one century. It would kill 60% of the adults uh, that caught it and 80% of the children. A doctor, Dr. Edward Jenner, noticed that there was one group who seemed to be immune to smallpox. It was people who milked cows. (laughs) It was strange, but he found that cows had what was called cowpox, which is really simply a, a weaker form of smallpox. So he thought we could get this, this weaker version, inject people with it, let them develop the immunity from the weaker version, and eradicate smallpox. He started the program vaccinating everyone who would let him. And the disease stopped spreading. The last known case of smallpox was 1977. It was declared eradicated from the world in 1979. And by the way, the Latin word, VACA, V-A-C-C-A, from which we get vaccine, VACA is the Latin for cow. To be vaccinated... And what I want to say to you as I close this morning is that you can be wealthy. You can be rich with the right antidotes. If you've been vaccinated, be helpful, be generous, lavish in your giving, and be ready to share and eager to do it. These things will inoculate you against the gravitational pull of wealth here in the United States and help all of us to be rich without riches ruining our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are 
often speechless at your goodness. And we can only worship. And we thank you today. Uh, You have just so poured out your blessings upon all of us today. You have given us so many things. We're leaving here today to go home to things, people, food, shelter, which you have given to us to enjoy. May we enjoy it for your glory's sake and your name's sake. Help us celebrate today just because of your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.